Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's amazing, but there's like a lot of cosmetic issues. There's the whole school is made of concrete and it's just bare exposed concrete. There's a lot of the classrooms are ill equipped for modern learning and barely any of them have aircon. But I went to Skeggs and <laughs> sorry, I wasn't meant to say Skeggs, but anyway, this <laughs> um, <laughs> is a private school. You went to have a look there. How did yeah. it compare? Uh, it was incredible like the grounds were huge and it was so beautiful and everything was shiny they even had like a life-size skeleton with like organs and everything and i just couldn't understand why schools like that are getting funding over schools like mine Welcome to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial out of the mouths of babes um, a dog's member. Um, she was a little girl. When I say little, I mean a primary school child. A primary school young woman, actually, because her intent was when she was asked later, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she says, the Prime Minister, thank you very much. So I like her. Um, a, little, a little state school girl who's a dog's member, as far as we're concerned, because that is, the, that is why we're here. It's not fair. How come? What's going on? Um, so we thought we'd rip that off the ABC. Thank you very, very, thank you very much, ABC's Q&A program from, from Monday night like just last. I'm sure they won't mind, and I'm attributing it appropriately, so that's the way to go. But um, having started with the voice of a child, I'm going to talk about children for a bit, and so will Jean, because here on the Dogs program, we are the defenders of government schools and the children in them. Um, I used to be a child, but I'm not anymore. Sometimes I wish I was because the age of innocence is long gone when it's come to education funding in Australia today. We'll be talking about this ridiculous thing which the federal government has put forward, which is a $1.2 billion, nothing to do with controversy, by the way, $1.2 billion private school choice fund to help them transition to maybe or maybe not having less money in the future. It's just the most extraordinary thing. It's, it's the powers of lobby groups gone completely mad. Jean will be dealing with it um, in her press release, a very, very, very famous press release, number 831. 831, Jean, that's your press release that's coming up, um, which will be available on our website, www.adogs.info. Um, so if you want to check Jean off and make sure she's getting all the facts right, she loves it when people contact her and talk about things like that. Um, we'll be talking about that, but we'll also be talking about, well, I mentioned it last week a bit if you were listening to last week's show, but I was mentioning the stupidity of testing. 
Australia is not doing very well in the education states by international comparisons. Um, and especially in Year 9, there's this idea that children aren't taking the tests in Australia seriously enough, so we have to make them take them more seriously, and that, that way we'll get better test results. The problem with this testing is, of course, as in the United States, it's used to fail schools and then allow them to be taken over by private interests. That's the danger of testing, and it's actually a multi-billion dollar business. It's got nothing to do in the final analysis with education at all. It's got to do with money. Yeah. Um, it's also dangerous for poor kids to try and learn stuff. Um, and I'll be talking about the sort of the basis of what testing is all about in the first place and what a stupid idea it is for an education minister to, to threaten children about doing well on tests to make them do better on tests so that he can say he's done his job. Um, so I'll be talking a little bit about the fundamental philosophical and indeed sort of statistical basis of the stupidity of that. Um, we'll also be talking about some interesting things going on in New York, um, a little glimmer of hope. Betsy DeVos has had a setback, um, a political setback, and I want to talk about that because she, she was trying to organise it so that all, the, all of the dodgy colleges who cheated students out of their money by putting up courses that were not as advertised and then closing down halfway through various courses, uh, she was trying to get through a bill to suggest that those colleges, or what's left of them, should be relieved of their obligations. Should be relieved of their obligations and the government should wash their hands at helping out those students. However, both Democrats and Republicans have banded together and say, hang on, no, that's not right. These kids need an education and what happened was not fair. So I'll be talking about that. We'll also be talking about various things, but we'll be finishing this week, and I do promise, uh, with a great state school, which we'll be highlighting at the end of the program. Without further ado, I'd like just to return to the ABC's Q&A program where a girl from Cheltenham College, which, by the way, is a good, inverted commas, state school, nothing wrong with Cheltenham College, if you've got your... Basically, if you've got a kid at Cheltenham College and they can't learn there, they can't learn anywhere. Um, it's a great school. But she had something to say about her predicament, and then we'll find out about... <laughs> We'll find out about this whole process by listening very carefully to Jane's press release. Um, so I go to a public school and I see many non-government schools that have uh, Olympic-sized indoor swimming pools and world-class theatres and baronial-style libraries. And I see that they, sh they don't need public funding but I still see them getting a lot of resources and funding from the government. And at the same time, I see schools and public schools like my own that are sometimes not able to give basic learning resources like textbooks because we simply do not have enough. How is this fair? And why are we funding privilege, not educational outcomes? Well, there we had a great student from a great state school. Uh, but even the children, perhaps most particularly our children, can see the gross unfairness in school funding throughout Australia. Those young lasses were extraordinarily articulate with their observations and a credit to both their teachers and the public school system. They give hope for a democratic citizens of the future. The mathematics teacher who was on the Q&A panel 
the rather famous Eddie Wu, also articulated in no uncertain terms the values of a free, secular and universal system of education. Yet none of the panel members were prepared to question the basis of any needs policy, even though it's generally agreed that all attempts to implement such policies have failed dismally. And we were uh, presented with the principal of St Andrews Cathedral School in Sydney lambasting the Catholic education lobby groups for their undermining of the recent Gonski model. The Morrison-Tian attempt to base needs-based funding to private schools on the parental incomes of parents applies only to federal funding, state aid, to private schools. And this federal funding now amounts to almost 20 billions of state aid dollars for private, not public schools. And those billions are recurrent funding. They do not take into account the capital funding, which is going to private schools but not public schools, and also the taxation expenditures in the form of massive exemptions from taxation. So why have the public schools been left out of the federal needs equation, which is now based on parental income? Dogs note that if the needs-based funding based on parents' taxable income was given to public schools throughout Australia, the vast bulk of any genuine needs-based funding would be given to our public, not to our private schools. But meanwhile, to add insult to injury, outrageously wealthy schools and the children know that they're outrageously wealthy because they can see with their own eyes when they visit them. They have to be paid off once again in case they might lose any smidgen of federal funding. They have been offered a special $1.2 billion private school choice fund over 10 years And these are being given not even to the schools themselves, but to peak private school bodies. And they can be used, this 1.2 billion can be used as investment nest eggs. They can be put into investments, not into banks obviously because the interest rates are so low, but to any kind of investment. Now, Michael Cosioil of The Age, on March the 8th, 2020, pointed out that the private administrators were handed, handed this special bundle of taxpayer dollars and they will be able to invest hundreds of the millions of dollars from the special federal government for the 10 years. So uh, this is what he had to say. I'll now pass it over to Robert. Strange fruit 
blood on the leaves and blood at the road black bodies swinging in the southern breeze strange fruit hanging from the Program. That was Strange Fruit. Yeah. Yeah. Love that song. Um, well, but back to not things I don't like. Um, Michael Cuzzle's article in The Age, as was mentioned by Jean, published on March 8th, just a few days ago, was talking about the peak private school bodies. They're going to get $1.2 billion as part of a choice and affordability fund, and it was announced a little while ago, and it's all actually just basically to shut, shut up private schools. You think, well, if we're going to lose any money, we're not going to lose that much. And if we are going to lose, we want some back in recompense of the money we're going to lose. And by the time we get to 10 years, we'll have got it all back anyway. Well, of course. But what they're going to do, of course, is it's just money in the bank. They're going to invest it. Hundreds of millions of dollars. Private investment for private schools, for private school benefits from the public purse. That's what they do. Um, but they just got 10 years to spend it in, I suppose. So they can put it in the bank for nine years, get a bit of money, or they can do what, no, they can build a few buildings and go involved in private investment firms and, and, and get there in, well, I mean, the Catholic Education Office has a private investment subsidiary employees that go around investing money that we give them in stuff. They'll just do that. And then after nine years, they'll say, oh, we better spend it now. Oh dear. So, you know, they'll spend the, they'll spend the initial capital then. Wouldn't you? <laughs> Seriously, wouldn't you? If someone gave you $1.2 billion and said you've got 10 years to spend it, what would you do? 
I'd chuck it in the bank. I'd talk to some people and say, yeah, can you double my money, please? Ten years, double, that's great. Then I'll spend my $1.2 billion and off I go. It's ridiculous. And it's called a choice and affordability fund. And it's supposed to make up for the money that they might not get. Not just say that they won't get, they might not get. Because they're able to review uh, any decision that's made. And this goes back to 1973 when they tried to cut just a little bit off the Class A schools and there was uproar. And so they were allowed to present different figures. In 2020, the Catholic sector nationally will receive from the taxpayer $61.5 million dollars nominally, including $20.1 million to New South Wales, $40.1 million to go to independent sector nationally, including $14.6 million to New South Wales. The amounts, of course, are indexed nationally. And that's just for this, this fund. It doesn't include the billions but unlike, of dollars. Yeah, uh, but unlike yeah. the typical recurrent funding, the money from the Choice and Ability Fund does not have to be spent on educating kids. The guidelines state... For for avoidance of doubt, expenditure of some of or all of the funds received may occur in later years, as long as the private school commits to the expenditure before 2029. This is, this is, this is corrupt. I'm going to say it, and someone can try and send me on that one. As far as I'm concerned, that's just a slush fund. That's just a slush fund to shut up a lobby group, and the lobby group happens to be the Catholic Education Fund and, of course, the independent schools bodies. This means they can just retain their money for years. Now, the chief executive, Dallas McEnany, said the group would deploy a significant chunk of the funds in the later part of the decade because often funding changes have bigger impacts in those years. Oh, they're making up, they're making up reasons, for, reasons for ripping us off. This is ridiculous. The problem, they said, we're solving becomes more acute in the second half of a 10-year funding cycle. The money would be deposited in the market somewhere, they said. Sports rots are nothing on this. Although in the current environment, it's not going to be a bonanza, though. Give it to me. $1.2 billion will go very nicely in the state education system in Victoria, because that's where I put it straight away. I'll be surrounded by... Not particularly wealthy parents, educated kids who are doing good things for my, 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 to me in my dotage, I hope. Because at a certain point I'm going to get really old and I'm going to need people to help me and I want them to be from state schools, well educated and well put together. That's what I put an extra $1.2 billion. Thank you very much. <sighs> However, apparently not all representative groups plan to invest their money in such a fashion. The chief executive of the Association of Independent Schools in New South Wales, Jeff Newcomb, said he anticipated spending the payments each financial year. Oh, so he says that he might spend, might, might spend it every financial year on but kids. But he doesn't have to. There's they no don't need, There's no requirement to do so. He'll do what he likes. Why do you need financial compensation because you're getting too much money? Which is the fundamental point here, Jane. They are being financially comp- compensated the private school system, both Catholic and independent, are being financially compensated for receiving too much money. Well, don't expect too much from the Labor Party because they allowed this to go through. Of course they did. Of course they voted for it because they want to get in because they don't want to annoy... Well, I don't know. Who is it? They, they don't want to annoy the, re- the religious... Well, I don't know if they exist anymore. 
I mean, someone's yet to prove to me the Labor Party actually exists. There's been no evidence of such for at least two months. Well, as an opposition, as a, as a viable opposition, yeah. I think it's viable opposition, Labor Party's what they call a deep fake. <laughs> I, th- I think it's all just some conspiracy on the, on the internet. And, Al- and Anthony Albanese is just saying things which are a composite of very previous words he's used over the previous ten years. Have you noticed how he hasn't aged lately? I think they're using the same photographs as well. I'm sorry. That is a terrible conspiracy theory. It was meant in jest, but seriously, Labor Party, this is an obvious rort, and there are state school parents around the country, like the children, and kids like the children we heard before, saying, it's not fair. How come they're getting this money? Well, Tanya Blibersek, of course, is just going back to the old hoary uh, the initial Gotinsky uh, requirements were against this, but um, I really wouldn't put my too much hope in Tanya Plibersek either. Uh, no, I wouldn't. But I think this, there's this fundamental thing. If you have enough money to put $1.2 billion away for a rainy day, if you have enough money in the running of your school to put your money away for a rainy day, you don't need the money. <laughs> so don't give it to them. It is a logical impasse. Hence me using the word corrupt. Because if you're giving money to a group of people called the Catholic Education Office, both nationally and in the states around the country, and you're giving them that money because they might lose some money and they might not have enough, and then they say, we're going to put it away for 10 years because we don't need it, then guess what? The important words in that sentence are, they don't need it, so don't give it to them. They don't need it. Give it to someone who does need it, which is, well, there's lots of kids in Australia that need a bit of money. 1.2 billion would go very nicely topping up their budgets, and I'll be talking about that later. But it's not just me that's come to these conclusions of... Why has the world just gone weird, illogical silliness? I just don't get it. It's not just me. Various people from Mount Australia agree with the dog's point of view in one way or another. And there was comments on this article, and I'd like, after, after this, um, for Dale to share. Come along to the album launch of Kukatha Gundachamada songman Dave Arden's Red Desert Man. Saturday, the 14th of March at the Thornbury Theatre, 859 High Street. Special guests include Kutcher Edwards, Young Warriors, BB Sabina and Amos Roach. Head to the Thornbury Theatre website for more details and to book tickets. Dave Arden's Red Desert Man album launch, Saturday, 14th of March. A 3CR supporter. Underneath the ground at the Olympic Dam Mine, there is an old, sleepy lizard. BHP is mining right into that lizard named Kulta, and it's not so sleepy anymore. The old frogs and lizard, they really know the mining company gotta go. The lizard returns, protestable, 2020. Uncle Kev is putting out the call. This is an invitation to all people and protectors of the land and waters. 
to get involved in the creation of Autonomous Zone as we move for peace and justice. BYO, your own creative response to the nuclear industry and BHP's water theft. Keep an eye on the Lizard Revenge page on Facebook or check out our website for history and info and updates on the lizardbitesback.net. The Lizard Returns Protestable, the 3rd to the 6th of July, Arabana Country. See you there. A 3CR supporter. And welcome back to the Dogs Program. You're listening to the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools here on 3CR 855 Community Radio. And yes, I've just got uh, some responses to the articles and uh, the information we've been talking about. uh, this one's from Goat Girl. Well, this just jumps straight in. She says, It's absolutely gobsmacking that in our country, Australia, a supposedly secular democracy, the government is shoveling, using front-end loaders rather than small spades, public money into private schools for the private use and disposition of a small elite group of people who are already wealthy while public schools have to account for every single cent of the pittance they receive from our so-called governments. I've written before of the need to make those private schools turn those shovel loads of money into publicly available assets. Give them the dollars, let them build swimming pools and let them, and then make damn sure that every single bit of fab new infrastructure they build is available to every local public school as well. Every sports field, every music room should be opened up to the public at the expense of the private school. That includes providing safety officers, supervisors, parking, etc. Only then can such lavish spending on a tiny minority be justified. Otherwise, it's just another sports rort. And then Mamarana says, I would be flabbergasted, but... Not much about the LNP mob surprises me anymore. No, I am flabbergasted that this money can be stockpiled and invested. Talk about giving private schools a leg up and how to increase inequality even further in this country. And then another point says, this is the reason we have a failed edu- failing education system. We have the greatest inequality in the OECD, the famously invoked evidence-based approaches to redeeming our failing system highlight the most successful systems do not politicise education as we have done, but offer a quality government system for all. Then Gavin says, there should be no public money for private religious schools, period. However, If public money must be given to them, it should be on the same basis as public schools. And no private school student gets more than any public school students. Money should certainly not be wasted on fripperies like pools. Private religious schools should call on their backers, religions, to cough up. You want the ability to indoctrinate fresh blood? Pay for it yourself. And while we're at it, religious bodies of all types should be paying taxes like the rest of us, not getting a free lunch. They're only interested in perpetuating themselves while caring nout for anyone not of their own special little group, whatever their protestations. And then Matilda says, if $25 million for a new pool complex at a private school is not 
infrastructure spending than what is. Then, then Sir Rex says, the Catholic Church, one of the richest organisations in the world, pressured our government to give them more public money and let them have it for longer. Appalling. And then Respect 4 says, they've had centuries to master the dark art of extracting money from others. Stop all taxpayer funds going as rorts to these elite private schools. If you do not want to use the public system, fine, but fund your elitism yourself. Do not expect those who could never afford to send their kids to such schools to help you out. And then Chris says, Never again can the Liberals accuse Labor or the Greens of insulting culture wars. This money exchange is straight out LNP. LNP largesse to the wealthy at the expense of the less well-off in this community. And then Susan says, the words public and private have meanings. Of course, the government does and should provide for public schools first and proportionally. It's not enough. Then Nickety says, why would Catholic schools be the go-to experts on government school funding. And then Kitty says, religious organisations, the biggest leaners of the lot, don't pay any tax despite making huge profits year after year and getting taxpayer funding as well. Doesn't the government see a problem here? They're the ones who talked about lifters and leaners. Then Curtis says, disgusting, what a sick society we have. Absolutely appalling when there are so many public schools in great need. What shameful disregard for those less privileged. Matilda says, this money is to, is to support the less privileged. It is to help low-fee schools keep low fees so that poorer families can continue to use them. And then Tilly says, but the truth is this is a very generous funding to the very privileged. If not, will each recipient of said funds submit to a public audit of their entire financial position to justify such beneficence? Beneficence? Yeah, I'm going to step in there. Um, <laughs> the answer is no. No, no. No way is the Catholic Education Office going to open up their books to any form of public scrutiny. There is no precedent for it. They've never done it. They're not going to do it today. So that's a rhetorical question. Mm -hmm. um, it actually has a non-rhetorical answer, which is the Catholic Education Office will not tell you how they spend taxpayer money, not even if the money that was allocated for school went to that school. Mm. And there's so many comments, and all along the similar vein, it's either requesting for more accountability um, from the, these organisations that receive public money um, or just saying public, yeah. public um, money should pub, pub fund public schools and yeah. it's just that simple. Yeah. I found it very interesting that the actual number of people that were trying to justify what, what was going on in the private schools is less and less and less. When these um, extraordinary... Uh, pieces of information come into the press and you look at the comments. I feel almost as if the dog's position is becoming quite respectable. Well, here we are on 3CR, 3 Community Radio. Um, we are providing and critiquing on just pure logic, the stupidity of education decisions. Um, it's wonderful that we have a voice to do this. 
um, but it's an extraordinary thing that we're not sitting here talking about. I'm not talk. Believe it or not, what we're discussing here is not ideological. It's just a senseless waste of taxpayers' money in a corrupt fashion. It's it's got nothing to do with it. I mean, what is ideological, and I will say this, but it's also actually a fundamental fact, is that all of these schools that have this money to distribute whenever they feel like over the next 10 years, every single one of those schools can say to any child or any parent, go away, you're not in our school anymore, you don't have enough money, just go away. We're not a public service. We're a private school. Go away. Go away because we've discovered that your parents are terrible people. We've discovered your parents are terrible people because they're in a same-sex relationship. And as far as we're concerned, that's just unacceptable. Go away, said the private school. We are not here as a public service. Yes, we have your taxpayers' money. We'll do what we like. But for you, young man, young woman, go away. And every single school that we're talking about has this as a right, as actually it's an exemption to the human rights of most human beings, but it's an exemption that the federal and state governments allow them to have. We talk about you know religious separation and we talk about you know religious freedom. They have the freedom to do that right now. All of this money is going to places that can say those things to children and do on a regular basis. They might frame it in less aggressive terms. They might say, we have decided that your educational opportunities would be best served by another institution separate from the one that you're currently in. But the interesting thing... So, go away. The interesting thing, Robert, is that uh, some Christians are are very concerned about this. I'm not talking about Christians. Yes. I'm just talking about all... I'm, I'm talking about Scientologists because they are receiving this money. I'm talking about, you know, Calathumpians of all stripes. I'm talking about uh, Muslim, uh, Islamic schools. Yes, but um, um, I'm, it's, just it's, it's actually having a very bad effect on on uh, some some Christian people who are concerned. And there's an archbishop here in Melbourne who is concerned now that um, the new discrimination bill is perhaps not what they want, that it's not going to give uh, religious freedom. So this was another very interesting piece of news. I don't want to go too far into that because that's actually a separate issue, but I am saying that each school that receives this money has the right to tell a child just to go away. They don't actually have to give that reason. They can just actually say, go away, you don't fit. That's it. Full stop. Write it in a letter. See you later. Bye. And do they do this? Of course they do. A good compromise measure for those people who are so frightened of of doing anything to offend these people would in fact be uh, that if a school takes public money, it should have an open enrolment policy. Oh, if it takes money to educate a child, it it, it has to fulfil the responsibility of a public service. Um, which I think is stupid and I think is actually restricting upon the rights of various people's religions to do that and so therefore they should not receive public money. It's just that simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, if you take the coin, you, you, you have to fulfil the values and obligations that go with that. If you don't take the coin, then you can tell people to go away. Believe it or not, there's been various situations in my life where I've had someone in my face and I've told them to go away. Um, I'm allowed to do that. That's okay. I can discriminate. Um, especially when someone's up in my face, so, yeah, just go away. I'm not going to. I would, I would ask you nicely to do that. 
Discrimination is not actually what I had the problem with. Taking public coin and telling children to go away is. And that, to me, is the fundamental, even we're talking money. When we talk about the money, we have to understand that this is the basis of where this money goes and the places it goes to. And I think it's worth remembering that. I'm going to stop for a bit of music, I think, and I'm going to talk about some numbers now and a little bit about the history of the test because the test is a modern invention. Did you know that? I didn't, but I found out, and now I'm going to share it with you. The history of dum 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 the test. Oh, 
110th. Yeah, anyway, so no, I, I won't sing. Uh, that's Bobby Womack crossing 110th Street. Yep, that's topical because it's all about, you know, getting from the wrong side of the tracks to the right side of the tracks. Or it could be a commentary on, on, the, on, on the prevalence of um, the coronavirus in New York. I, I, I don't know. It's just good music as far as I'm concerned from an age that was much more innocent than the one we're in. Um, I promised you before, Bobby Womack, that I'll be talking about the history of the test. Now, as I was saying last week, there's this whole idea is if you test something, then it's happened. And I'm, I've been discussing this with some people much cleverer than me this week, for the benefit of you listeners, and I thought I'd share their wisdom uh, from me sitting around solving the problems of the world by listening to people smarter than me. There is at the moment, I think, a fundamental shift that it used to be that if you did something well, it was done well, and then you assessed it to see that it was done well, to check now it's if you assess something as being done and it's assessed as being done well, then that's good enough in itself. Whether it's done at all is now up for, up for grabs. You can assess something and not actually do it and say, oh, good, that's all being done. It seems, and, and this is happening again and again and again. And federal ministers, you know, with their surpluses, oh, we've assessed that we're going to have a surplus, so therefore we've had one. So what are you talking about? You've got to do it first. You know, it's just, I'm being serious. You know, politicians are banking good things that haven't happened yet. Um, And it's happened all across the field of humanity, I'm noticing. it Certainly in the English-speaking world. But the process of assessment itself is always fraught. And I thought I'd give you a, a little history of the test. Now, testing goes back to the 18th century, actually, as soon as you start industrializing education. But I want to speak specifically about the IQ test. Now, the IQ test is what a lot of people think NAPLAN is. They think NAPLAN is, you know, how much does the kid know? Well, the more a kid knows, the smarter they are. You know, it's loosely equivalent. Not the same, but standardized testing involving intelligence were first used on a mass scale in World War One, not before. It was actually to sort recruits for the army. Those who had life advantages, that is to say high SES, that is, came from richer families, got high scores than those who did not. And those with high scores became the officers. Those with lower scores became the foot soldiers. Psychologists wrongly assumed that men who had lower scores were of lower intelligence. Those same psychologists, the leaders in this new field of psychology, which is again only about 130 years old, wrote books about the inherent mental superiority of Aryans and Nordics compared to American blacks and to immigrants from southern and um, eastern and central Europe. So back in the days when you tested intelligence quotients, this is what they were on about. Now, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it once. I probably don't, I probably shouldn't have to repeat it, and I'll try not to, but they were wrong. Because northern blacks had higher scores than Appalachian whites in America. But... The scores on those tests measured environmental factors, such as the family's education, familiarity with the English language, and income, and they continue to do so today. 
Those born into educated English-speaking families had higher scores than did Italians, Russians, Jewish, Hungarian and Polish immigrants. Ironically, many people from the same group were labelled inferior by test givers in the early decades of the 20th century now receive higher scores on standardised tests, certainly in Australia. An immigrant to Australia is more likely to receive a higher score on a standardised test than someone who's born here in Australia or somebody who comes from parents who are born here in Australia. More highly motivated. Mm -hmm. Now, the tests were not actually measured ability. Well, I'll come back to this because this motivation question is an interesting one. The idea that a child from an immigrant background is more highly motivated to do well in a test Mm. is also something that I think needs to be brought into question Mm. because the tests were not actually measuring ability. Rather... They were, again, measuring language skills and economic status, and the language skills and economic status of those people improved, and so, of course, did the test scores. They would have done just as well to have looked at the parents, just tested the parents in many many cases. The private school lobbies ignored this process at the moment and and are ignoring and never learned it. Because they are relying on the validity of annual standardised testing as both the measure and of the goal of teaching and learning. In fact, that is the goal of a school. The goal of a school is to produce high standardised test scores from NAPLAN to VCE to whatever. And there's the question whether they're either reliable or valid. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and for those of you who are statistics nerds out there, there you will know quite rightly that validity and reliability are different things. Um, it often says raise the bar for testing scores, and students will get higher testing scores. But testing students often, even with more difficult tests, difficult tests don't make the kids any smarter. Now, in America in particular, federal law made annual testing the linchpin of schooling. Test scores were used to identify the lowest scoring schools, which would then be closed or turned over to private management. Entire school staffs were fired because the scores on the tests were too low. Test scores were used to determine which teachers were effective and ineffective in a school. They were used to award metric and merit pay. They became a measure of educational quality and teacher quality and student success and student failure. Students were punished for being poor. Students were punished for having parents who could not read English in the school, in the system, in the country. Their teachers and schools were punished because the population of the school was uh, less wealthy and less able to, or less having had not enough time to, integrate to within the general educational population. Now, this is why we're really very interested in this whole testing problem because schools are regarded as failures. Teachers are regarded as failures on the basis of these tests. And in America, they have been privatised as a result. And yet Dan Tian is talking more and more about testing teachers. And it's also happened in the UK. And unfortunately, Australia has a most unfortunate uh, habit of following 
the bad examples of the UK and the USA. This oh, is have. why we can... I know we already have. Yes. No, we, we have a Teach for Australia program, which takes, inverted commas, the brightest and the best and gives them a contract. Uh, in fact, gives them a contract to teach without actually teaching them how to teach. Six weeks training, throw you in a classroom with a mentor. Pay the Teach for Australia graduate more than the mentor is receiving themselves because they are the brightest and the best. This, this, this sort of idea that the sort of natural quality of someone who does well at university makes them a teacher becomes this fascinating process. But um, Dan Tian talking about putting, you know, motivating and punishing people to do well on tests in year nine to solve the education problem, if that's what testing was all about in the first place, he is. You are, Dan. If, if, if you're around down the United, just say, mate, you're barking up the wrong tree. Now, the good news, the good news is that in, Austra- in the United States, the teachers are mobilising and fighting this. But we'll tell you about that next week. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State State schools. schools School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Welcome. Yeah, now we get to that nice bit. I've been looking forward to this. Not telling you about all the troubles we have to solve. We're talking about something that's not a problem. We don't have to solve. I'm just going to tell you about it because it's really good news. I'm talking about a great state school. Now, it's a great state school because it does extraordinary things with extraordinary material. And it does it in an extraordinary place. And at the moment, the place that it doesn't is under, well, it's got a few problems. I'm talking about the North Shore of Sydney. Now, the North Shore of Sydney has a very large number of very wealthy, well-travelled, um, upper-middle-class people. Now, at the moment um, in the world, we are about to head into what they call a pandemic, and this particular pandemic targets um, older, wealthy, well-travelled, upper-middle-class people. And the North Shore of Sydney, there is, in fact, a cluster of people who are doing very badly when it comes to this pandemic. And I'm not joking. That seems to be what it's all about. Uh, very few people from um, in Australia who go to state schools functionally um, are having a problem with the coronavirus. And I want to talk about a school right in the middle of an epidemic pocket that, that has no children um, that suffer or, and no parents who suffer from the coronavirus. I want to talk about Hornsby Girls High. Now, Jean might know a little bit of that, being, being a Sydney girl herself. But just, just, just to give you an idea about Hornsby Girls High, the Ixia value there, because it's Hornsby, is very high. So they are wealthy girls. And I could tell you about their NAPLAN scores, but that would just be skiting. They are streets above the private schools all around them. Selective high school. It is. It is streets above. It is just absolutely... You cannot actually get better NAPLAN results than this school. It is elite when it comes to all your test scores, and we talked about what that means. But um, even in terms of that. But I want to talk about something that really caught my eye, because in the middle of this, in the middle of the terrible things going on on the North Shore of Sydney, and you know probably more than that as, as the weeks and months go on, they just had a little breakfast, and it was an International Women's Day breakfast. And they had speeches. They had speeches from the year, a year 11 girl, Kate. Well done, Kate. Um, 
And actually, somehow or other, they arranged to get the American Consul General round. She was there, um, yeah, Miss Sharon Hudson-Dean, and they had a little celebration. It's in fact the fourth day they've done it, but it's what the school's all about. In fact, 140 students turned up for breakfast, and some old girls as well, to celebrate. One of the wonderful things about Australia, as far as I'm concerned, and it was a wonderful day, International Women's Day, which celebrates on 3CR, I know. But you wouldn't expect a little state school, about 750 kids up there in Hornsby, so it's not that little, celebrating something as simple as that and just taking their time out to do it. But they did, and they will, and they do. As a school, their culture is proud. And it's an outstanding tradition as a selective high school whose major focus is academic excellence and nurturing all students to reach their potential. And I will talk about this because it's been going since 1930. And it's in heritage buildings in the centre of Hornsby, has an excellent reputation not just within the local area but all over the place. Now, not every child in this school comes from a wealthy background. In fact, most do not. They are the poorest students on the North Shore. But they're the smart ones too. And they put themselves together and have a culture. Not a culture like St Kevin's, which is pride turned into an ugliness, if you ask me, here in Melbourne. It is pride turned into something special. And so I think in all sorts of ways, and I do suggest you research your school yourself because it's fascinating. I could, I could go on about this for ages. But they are resilient girls. They come from 48 different cultural backgrounds. So all this whole, this whole IQ thing is just out the window when it comes to what goes on internally in this school. So if you want to beat, if you want to game the system and you're a kid and you don't come from a situation that's useful, then there's only one way you can game the system in Australia to cheat the IQ test, and that's to get yourself into a state school because that's what government schools have been doing in Australia for generation upon generation upon generation. That's the one thing the private schools do not. They don't have the values like Hornsby Girls High School, because you girls are great. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a positive great relationships with each other, with teachers, and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast, and so there's, there's food on 
if you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Oh, what a packed program we've had today, and we're going to have to have next week because there's so much going on in the world of educational. You've been listening to the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. If you want to check up on us, you can at our website, of course, www.adogs.info, or at 3CR, their website, 3cr.org.au. And if you know a great state school in this great, beautiful nation of ours called Australia, um, give us a call. Um, business House, 94198377. That's it, 94198377. Yep, double seven. That's it, that's it. Good, got it, good. You got the number. Give us a call anyway. I'm sure the office staff would like to hear your support for the programs here, and we certainly appreciate your skill in listening to us so good. But until next week, from Jean Dahl and myself, it's bye for now. Ten years dead, I never...